Hello, and welcome to Speakeasy, the Alexandria Times podcast. My name is Cody Melocline, reporter at the Times, and today I'm joined by a fourth-generation Alexandrian, a current city councilor, and also, as many people may figure out, a tour guide in the city of Alexandria. Uh, welcome to the show, John Chapman. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and so as I said, I think the most logical place to start with you is I think I don't think anyone on the show other than perhaps one guest has been born and raised in Alexandria, but I can say with confidence, mm. no one no one that I've had on the show has the history famil- in terms of their family that goes back as far as you do in Alexandria. How much of your family's history do you know? Um, so I know the earliest person that I know is Milton Taylor. Uh, he would be my uh, great, great, excuse me, my great grandfather on my, hold on. Yep, my great grandfather on my um, my mother's side. Yes, that's correct. How much do you know about him? As you can see by <laughs> me struggling to to uh, pull it together, uh, not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you know, my mother is a, kind of the family historian, and we haven't recently talked about him. I know, if, honestly, before I got on council, we were talking about him. Talk about talk about talking about why he came to the area talking about what he did but i can't remember and i haven't asked her in a while um i do know he is buried over by bethel cemetery we've visited the grave site before and i think that's what kind of brought on some of the conversations obviously you were born and raised in the city where what area of the city were you raised in so i was born and, and raised mainly in um the early part of my my life uh, in north old town uh, I grew up on uh, 823 North Patrick Street, uh, a block away from Charles Houston. Um, and then when I was in uh, sixth grade, it was, uh, we actually were one of the first families to move into the renovated Quaker Hill. Uh, it used to be called Cameron Valley. Prior to that, Arha renovated it, um, and we were one of the first families to move in. Uh, and I lived at 103 Yale Drive. Mm. What was it? What was it like growing up in Alexandria around that time? Oh, it was interesting. Um, you know, I was I was busy being a kid, so I yeah. wasn't really paying attention to you know politics and things like that. I played uh, played sports, played soccer, um, and basketball, and uh, enjoyed life. Um, you know, our family didn't have a car, and so you know, one of the kind of interesting kind of public policy things now that I recall is is um, mass transit. Uh, and having Dash, having Dash locally, uh, got us around to a lot of um, games and stuff like that. Uh, whereas um, the Metro bus wouldn't necessarily hit those same places in the city. Uh, and so I definitely remember early days of Dash and uh, the walkability of the city and, and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I wasn't paying attention to politics at that time. Were, you, were your parents at all civically engaged? Because I, it's, it's notable only since so much of as that you are currently a city councilor, but were your parents at all engaged in any of that? Yeah, so my mom was definitely um, very engaged in kind of public service. She taught us kind of how to be um, a community servant and involved in local community service. But um, even though we were um, pretty poor, um, didn't have a whole lot of money, uh, lived in public housing, you know, she became a huge public housing and housing advocate. Uh, she served. She ended up serving on the Arha Board of Directors uh, for a number of years, and uh, there are a couple of other city commissions that she served on as well. Yeah, is that something that you felt like you were 
pretty familiar with prior to kind of uh, oh yeah i mean she she would drag us you know to all <laughs> all of the commission meetings and so we'd be sitting in the back of commission meetings myself and my sister um you know doing our homework while she's you know talking about uh public housing and uh affordable housing and that and so um when i when i got ready to run you know her and i had a number of conversations around housing and, and public policy and um, she's she's still pretty in tune with um, stuff that's going on in that arena in the city. Yeah, I'm sure she lets you know her her mind on certain things. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. From you did not you didn't go to public school in Alexandria, correct? You were mostly in private no. schools. No, so I I did. Um, my mom, as early as I was five, she had me in St. Paul's Nursery School uh, in Old Town. Um, then a number of those kids end up, went to kind of private schools around the area. And so I was, I was trying to join my preschool friends. Um, and so I talked to her about trying to go to this little school called St. Agnes School. Um, and um, I was lucky enough to kind of test and get in. And she was able to come up with uh, some of the money um, for the first year uh, and the second year, we actually found a nonprofit in DC called the Black Student Fund uh, that helped to pay for a lot of um, working with St. St. Agnes at that time. I helped to pay for a lot of that tuition uh, that my mom really could not afford. Uh, and so I was lucky enough to keep going to the school. The schools merged when I was in fifth grade. I think it was 98, you know, um, it was uh, like maybe 92 or 93, something like that. Um, and I just kept going. Uh, to the school until I graduated. Did you know what you wanted to, to do when you left high school? A lot of kids don't. But... Oh, um, not really. I mean, I think I, yeah, I think I was, I was really actually pretty lost in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, you know, entering high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. I love sharks and I wanted to study fish and, uh, and, and uh, sharks. But uh, when I took my first um, science class, I got a D. This is, I think it was the first D I'd ever gotten. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a check. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so after that, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I wanted to, um, ended up wanting to work with kids. I had a, a senior, they call them the senior experiences, um, where you go and work um, basically somewhere, shadow somebody for a couple of weeks or a month. Um, and I worked at um, MacArthur Elementary School. Um, um, with a third grade teacher that I had known. My mother had worked um, as a teacher's aide at MacArthur for a number of years. Uh, and so I worked with uh, Miss Weich. Uh, she was a third grade teacher. And I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And so when I went to school, uh, when I went off to college in St. Olaf College, I uh, thought about being a social worker at first. I was, was kind of nervous about the classroom, decided that social work um, took more years in school that I wanted to do mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, to, in order to be a functioning uh, social worker, you need to have a master's. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to take a little bit longer than I expected. Um, so let me look at this teaching thing. I still want to work with kids. Uh, and so um, that still presented an opportunity to kind of fill, fulfill that, that, that dream, that goal. Yeah. And I, I think you ended up going to, you ended up graduating with a social studies education degree. What was it about yep, that subject right. specifically that um, kind of energized you? Wanted you to want, want, made you want to teach? It was it was kind of a catch all. Yeah. Um, you know, I wanted to know history, but I loved geography. Um, 
was obviously interested in political science as well. Um, and so, you know, social studies was a mixture of all that. Um, you got to talk, we got to learn about economics, we got to learn about history, uh, of course, geography, uh, and then poli-sci. And so being able to mix all of those, I felt gave me a, a better opportunity to fulfill different roles um, as, you know, as a classroom teacher. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I could be a high school history teacher, I could be a social studies teacher in middle school, um, or, or what have you. So... Did you end up coming back to Alexandria right after college or did you stick around Minneapolis at all or Minnesota? Sorry. No. So I actually um, came right back. Um, I left like a couple hours after graduation and I was back in the city. Um, yeah. Did you know you always would end, end up back here or did you kind of picture yourself at all ever living anywhere else? You know what? I, I, I don't, I don't think I had any kind of, I didn't have any issues with coming yeah. back, but I was, I wasn't pressed initially to come back. I think I wanted to kind of see the world mm -hmm. and see what was out there for me. Um, but I don't think I really spent enough time as a senior kind of investigating that. And so when it came to graduation day, I didn't really have any options. Um, I had not kind of thought about that for myself. And so, you know, being, you know, having family back here and saying, Hey, you can come back, live here and figure out what you want to do. I think for me, was the, the, the best option. Yeah, I know I can I can speak personally in saying that it's nice to have that foundation to kind of like come back to you, kind of reassess. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. When you when you came back here, I mean, it, it, it's not it's I, I guess it's not spoiling to things to say that you, you aren't currently teaching social studies. Um, right. <laughs> what, what did you what did you end up doing when you got back here? And, and uh, yeah. when did you figure out that maybe maybe teaching in the classroom wasn't the thing for you? Right. So when I first came back, um, I, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, um, but I ended up getting a job at, um, as a paraprofessional instructor at George Washington Middle School, working at ACPS. Um, and I did that for a number of months um, because I still, you know, I had the background in teaching. And so it was, it was too easy for my mom to be like, hey, you need to be in a school somewhere you know, stop looking at other jobs. You know, this is what you've got your degree in. So do that first and see what's up. Uh, my issue was that I had not gotten a license to teach while I was in college. And so I had to start off as a paraprofessional at that time, or that's what I was led to believe. Um, months into that, I got a job with Fairfax County government doing uh, recreation. Mm -hmm. I had been working in recreation since I first got home. That was one of my first kind of part-time jobs doing kind of evening hours at one of the local recreation centers. Uh, and so I found out about a full-time gig at, um, at a, the Mott Center, which is um, a little bit west of uh, George Mason University in Fairfax uh, County. Um, and so I got a job there, um, maybe after about five months with ACPS. Mm -hmm. what, what is it about schools in general that, that kind of keeps you engaged because it is it's a difficult it is a yeah. difficult field to kind of stay in long term but you can you have somehow yeah for me it's it's the kids um kids provide that daily energy because you you walk into a situation not knowing what's gonna happen yeah. and the, the next day you could have tons of plans and ideas and you know i know there's a number of teachers out there that you know, have ideas on the curriculum that they're going to try to work through or this portion of a curriculum they're going to work through within a certain time frame and kids change that very quickly. Um, 
But for me, it was, you know, after school programs and out of school time activities that kind of energized me because kids come to those with a whole different level of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, it's totally different from the clinic classroom mentality where kids know they're going to have to sit and listen and, and do home, uh, do classwork and things like that. But kids come to after school, you know, ready to go, you know, with a ton of energy, ready to run around, ready to let their creativity fly. And, and that just, for me, was... Um, Good to see and good to kind of have people, frankly, have a positive, and when I say people, I mean kids, have a positive attitude towards you and what you're doing. Yeah. I, I think the the other ha kind of half of your, your, your I, I guess, identity here in, in Alexandria is, is your, people know you for your in, kind of engagement, not only in city council, but kind of your engagement all over Alexandria. And I mean, you could, yeah. I could list off all of these things you've been involved with you were you you were vice president of the volunteer <laughs> alexandria board of directors um vice president of membership for the taylor run citizens association um part of the first night alexandria board of directors all of these organizations um when and how did you first get involved in alexandria civic life did was that something coming back here that you knew you wanted to kind of get more involved with so not at all. Um, <laughs> when I first uh, when I first came home and started working, you know that was that was it for me. I um, I actually became like a big gamer. Mm -hmm. um, I had Xbox um, and the Xbox 360 after that, um, and just kind of did that. Did work, would come back, and you know just do nothing but video games. Um, I remember like the, the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the, the, the craziest thing that I did, I think I ended up taking like three or four days off when Halo first came out. Um, and I just didn't do anything else but play Halo yeah. like for, you know, 36 hours, 48 hours or whatever it was straight. Um, but that was, that was who I was, um, right after work. Cause I, you know, just didn't want to do anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it, it kind of hit me as an epiphany one day, um, I remember seeing, you know, a woman at a bus stop kind of struggling to to take care of her kids, looking kind of desperate in her face. And, you know, it it kind of struck me as, um, you know, something, you know, kind of frankly, the situation with my mother and my sister and I, my mom, my mother is a single mom. My dad left when I was six. And so my mom had to be that woman at the bus stop with her kids trying to make sure you know, she was well taken care of, but her kids were well taken care of too. And, you know, the thought kind of hit me, you know, with my mom, same as her, you know, who who is out there looking out for a woman like that, who is trying to take care of her kids, trying to take care of herself? Um, you know, obviously with, with a couple of kids, you don't necessarily have all the time in the world to yourself. You've got to take care of your kids. And so who's out there advocating for you? Um, and who's who's helping to make the community better so that your kids and you have a good life? Um, and it kind of hit me that you know I was being selfish with my time, frankly, um, by just by just doing nothing but playing video games. You know I had an opportunity to give back like my mom had been teaching me, um, and I wasn't doing it. Uh, and so I think it was that night I went and um, started to look at look up uh, the Young Democrats. Um, I, I was interested in in politics and seeing what they were doing. Um, went to a meeting, um, found some friends that uh, had known me and my family for for a number of years, uh, and started to get involved that way. And and by by getting involved there, that opened up a number of different doors. 
um, of opportunities and nonprofit boards and organizations to be a part of. When did you get involved with the NAACP? Because I know for, for a short period of time, mm-hmm. you served as the president of the local branch here. Yeah. Uh, 10, 2000, um, excuse me, 2010, 2011. Um, I, I had gotten involved with Urban League before uh, and then started to move towards um, the local branch for the NAACP um, and um, really found it uh, amazing opportunity to be an advocate. Um, you know, I, f- I felt that uh, with uh, the branch, you know, they really had an opportunity to really have a voice in the community and speak to policymakers, whether it be council or folks higher than that, about, um, about what, what needs to be done. Um, so, you know, usually every month we had to come, we had a speaker and the speaker could be a policymaker. It could be somebody else in the community, uh, to talk about, you know, change that needs to happen. And so it really, um, provided a platform, uh, for the organization, uh, and definitely helped me kind of understand, uh, some of the issues within the city as well. Yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of those issues have kind of come to the fore recently, mm-hmm. um, Obviously, with with the with the tragic killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, but yeah, I mean, and and to that point, I mean, uh, it's interesting to be on this side of the issue, meaning as a policymaker, you know, because one of the early conversations that I had with um, folks at NAACP and um, Howard Woodson being a past president was about um, a citizen review board. Um, you know, how do we implement that in Alexandria? And at that time, it, you know, for a number of people, it was a non-starter. Mm-hmm. But it's really good to see that conversation moving uh, now. Yeah. How how have you kind of seen the conversation, not just around the policy of, of kind of institutional racism, but how have you found the conversation just about race in general kind of shift in your time, um, not just as, as a policymaker, but as your time in the city? I'd, I have to imagine that you've probably seen it change in some ways and then probably stay, stay the same disappointingly in other ways. Yeah. I, I, I would say, um, you know, the shift is the general community feeling. There's not a, um, a kind of caustic yeah. uh, reaction to it. Um, like there was when we were kind of working on the issue, you would have, you know, you would have your, your average person be like, no, our police are fine. We don't need that. You know, now with, um, with things that people are seeing nationwide, they're saying, okay, it doesn't necessarily hurt to have this conversation here in Alexandria. Yes, we might be a little bit better off than other localities, but I don't think that it hurts for us to put, um, to have this discussion, you know, put some structures in place so that we don't ever have something like this happen without um, being prepared for it. Uh, And I think that's that's what we did not hear before. Um, when this conversation came up. Yeah, and I know, I know we've talked about this in the past um, for other stories, but it's an interesting situation where obviously this inc- this these incidents have happened across the country, and it's hard to engage people in these conversations when people are convinced their town or their city, there no nothing's happened here, so there's there's no need to change anything. That can That's be right. kind of a challenge. Oh yeah, that's that is the biggest challenge because what for for a number of those people you are you are hitting you're hitting like a a disaster button. Mm-hmm. You're saying everything is wrong and wrong here. We've got to 
we've got to, you know, totally change how we look at our police. And, and for a lot of people, they don't want to hear that, especially if they're not seeing or feeling that everything is wrong. Um, because, um, because that's, because the thought is that, you know, you're not doing this because everything is wrong, especially for a community like us, you're doing this to ensure that nothing ever goes wrong. Um, it's, it's, you know, the idea of kind of being proactive about situations, not necessarily waiting until something happens to react to it. Yeah, certainly. And, and as you mentioned, your, your kind of perspective on this is now sort of shaped by your role as a, as a policymaker in the city. I know you were first elected to city council in 2012. Um, what, what made you run the first time around? Um, so it was a couple of things. Um, you know, the departure of uh, Rob Caprica, um, I saw him as, uh, and we had had interactions, you know, prior to me running. I saw him as a member of council that was really kind of education centered and focused on families and kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and by losing him and his voice in that on council, you know, I felt there was a, a space for kind of what I thought I could bring to to Alexandria. Uh, my background with education, I think I could speak to education issues. Um, I'm, I think I'm still one of the only members on council who's been on the BFAC um, budget advisor, city's budget advisory committee, as well as the school board's budget advisory committee, kind of understanding how both those budgets work, and especially in concert with each, with each other as it relates to schools um, and kids. Um, and so, you know, being able to talk about education, uh, talk about housing, um, you know, growing up in public housing, not only the experience there, but also kind of the, the role of public housing, the need for affordable housing. Uh, and then at the at, when I first ran, um, my other kind of kind of main messaging point was about civic engagement. Um, I've always uh, I've always appreciated the role of civic associations and community groups uh, as it relates to being able to lobby community uh, lobby council mm-hmm. and other legislators about policy um, and, and seeing how and where um, government engages people. I mean I think we we do okay but we still have our struggles. Um, you know I don't want to say that we're horrible but you know they're always definitely improvements that can be made. I think the old the old kind of frame of thought from a number of people about, you know, how do we engage um, folks in the West End of the city? How do we engage folks in condos? Um, how do we engage people that, frankly, are too busy to pay attention to local government? Um, you know, they need to be engaged and we need to, as government, figure out a way to do that. And so that's always been, and I know it's could be a silver bullet to find and um, actually make happen, but I think it, it should always be our goal. Um, and I think, you know, you always don't hear that from um, policymakers. This episode of Speakeasy is sponsored by Case Architects and Remodelers. Case Architects and Remodelers developed their proprietary case study process to help you explore the possibilities in your home. And now Case has a design studio right in Old Town on the corner of Washington and King to go with their three other design studios in Maryland, D.C., and in Falls Church. Because during these times, home is more important than ever. Visit casedesign.com to learn more and to schedule your personal consultation. It's interesting because you you are someone who comes to the job uh, born and raised Alexandrian with like 
who's very deeply embedded, not just in Alexandria community writ large, but but the black community in Alexandria specifically, um, which does bring with it a very specific and valuable perspective. Um, do you feel like do you feel like your your involvement, like kind of taking on a role as a public official, has kind of impacted or reframed your relationship with the black community in Alexandria in any in any way? Do you kind of think about it differently? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think you're, I think you're forced to, um, yeah. because one of the, the challenges with being a policymaker is that, you know, you are not here. Let me say this. Uh, I like to try to say this the right way, but it always comes off weird. You're not necessarily here to be the advocate. You're here to be the, the person who makes a solution or helps the solution happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to advocate for housing, but you should have, as a policymaker, you should have tools in front of you to be able to to make affordable housing happen, or uh, if not, help help others advocate to a higher level to get that done. Um, and I think that changes how people look at you, for um, sure. Because you know, in you know, being NAACP president per se, you know, you're 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 hand in hand with community members talking to council about affordable housing. Um, and you're working together and people uh, value that relationship, especially, you know, folks in the African-American community, uh, because gentrification has been a huge issue um, in our city for several decades. Um, And now and now kind of being on the other side of that as a policymaker, people are looking at you to make that change. And, um, you know, if you don't, you know, there's an issue there. Uh, and so I think we've been trying as as much as, you know, with local, the local tools that we have as much as we can to to uh, to change what it looks like for affordable housing. But it, it frankly is not enough to turn the tide here in the city. You know, there's definitely state and federal regulations that kind of hamper what we can do. Um, you know, I always talk to folks about the fact that we can barely get, you know, five to 10 percent of affordable housing out of any project. Mm. And that's really, that's really an issue as it relates to state, state law um, and what the state allows us to do as localities. And so, you know, many people, they might hear that, but, you know, at the end of the day, they see affordable housing going out of the city. And so we are the kind of closest people that they know and can touch. And so, you know, we take the blame for that. And I think that does change um, relationships. Yeah. Um, obviously the, the last, I think the last council public hearing was a few weeks ago, I, I think, and, and I think this was the first time in a while that you guys have had a July, a July public hearing. Um, yeah, second, second year in a row. Yeah. Which I know, uh, to, uh Justin and Dell's chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but, uh, obviously the, the job of a council member is kind of year round and this is kind of a, this is kind of an interesting period of time for everybody kind of adapting what they do and and how they do it to the pandemic how has um how has the the pandemic and this kind of period of quarantine impacted your work as a public official so i mean i think the first thing is um it's a little bit tougher to kind of have that 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 touch with the community um because you don't have community events like you did before um, you know, regular community events happening, you know, being able to visit churches and other organization meetings. Um, you know, it, you don't have the same feel as visiting a Zoom call. You know, I did a, um, I think it was the West End Business Association happy hour pretty early 
uh, in the quarantine. And it, you know, just wasn't the same feel. I got to ask because I was just doing, just doing a cursory look at kind of like your, your bio. It's the amount of organizations and things you've done in the city is, is, is impressive to say the least, but I got to ask, how do you have time to do all this stuff? When I was back being a gamer, that was, I mean, that, I didn't have any el- anything else yeah. to do. I was just, you know, just uh, work and come home. Uh, and so, you know, I, I really got out of that life, obviously, um, and kind of committed to being as busy playing video games as, I mean, be, excuse me, be as busy um, working in the community and getting involved as I was with um, video games. And so I honestly, before council, I, I had a seven days a week, you know, be, be busy working with community members, trying to see how you can make change happen in different areas. Um, and so I kind of pushed myself to do that, to get involved to that, that type of crazy level where it was just nothing but, um, other organizations and, Mm -hmm. um, and issues, you know, African-American empowerment was, you know, has, has kind of been a central kind of theme for me, whether it's urban league, whether it's NAACP, um, you know, obviously pot local politics and being involved in that manner as well. Um, and then looking at kind of community service and volunteerism, kind of trying to be, um, as busy and, and use the time that I have to make as much of an impact as possible. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up volunteerism because this is kind of where I wanted to kind of leave this conversation. But, uh, I, I don't know if a lot of people know that you are a founder of a tour company here in Alexandria. Um, yeah. You founded Manu Mission (laughs) tour company in in 2016. Um, what inspired you to, get into the tourism industry, which is obviously massive in the city, but also um, get into it in a way that's, for, for those two who don't know, Minion Mission Tour Company is all about the city's kind of African-American history um, and kind of peeling that away layer by layer. What, what kind of inspired you to get involved in this area of the city in the first place? Yeah, I think for me, it was it was really the opportunity. I mean, as massive as um, tourism is in the city, you know, there isn't very much of it at geared toward the African-American experience or the African-American story. Um, and so being able to talk about the history that we have here in the city uh, as really African-Americans, I think was um, was key. And then finding out that there's very, very few people kind of already in that universe. Um, it's, it's not like I'm competing with mm-hmm. another kind of gigantic tourism company that's doing the work. Um, frankly, there's, there's not really anybody in the, in the space. Um, and there hasn't been anybody in the space, you know, kind of historically, um, you know, growing up in the city, I didn't really hear a whole lot about African-American history, uh, in old town. And, you know, I'd, I'd visit as a, as a local scout, I'd visit places like Gatsby's Tavern, you know, and they'd never really talked about, um, you know, enslaved workers working in the tavern and who they were. And it's, you know, that some of them ran away, that some of them did certain jobs, you know, and some, mm-hmm. so missing out on that information and then later finding out all that information uh, has just not been told to you, I think is, is interesting to me. And I think we rob people of um, a true experience of Alexandria by not telling that story and not having signage and not having, um, kind of the whole history told about how the city operated um, in the 17 and 1800s. Yeah, it's interesting because earlier I did say you you 
didn't end up becoming a social studies teacher, but in a way you did end up becoming a history teacher. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting kind of roundabout way. And I think for me, you know, when I first, when I did first kind of do the research and put it together, you know, I did get kind of that old feeling that, you know, this was, you know, I'm putting together a, a very, um, a very kind of focused uh, curriculum um, that has, you know, certain activities for people, you know, and this activity is a tour guide uh, being, you know, taking a tour and, and going from place to place, talking about different themes, um, historical themes in different periods of time. And so, yeah, it definitely harkened back to some of the, the training and uh, stuff from college. Yeah. Have you uh, been surprised by anything you've, or any stories you've learned as you've kind of done some research? I think the biggest surprise is how many people have um, kind of taken to it. Mm. Um, you know, we've been pretty successful. You know, obviously COVID has uh, put a little uh, hump in things, but, um, you know, we've had, you know, I really wasn't sure how how folks would, would, would see it, would handle it. Um, you know, would folks challenge the history that they're hearing because they haven't really heard it before? You know, is this something that people would beat down because we're not talking about kind of the city founding fathers? We're talking about, you know, the other folks. Um, you know, what's the response from the African-American community? You know, it's it did strike me that I didn't really see any other kind of elders uh, in the African-American community kind of pushing kind of this history. There are folks out there, but, you know, not in a, they're not doing it in a tourism stance. And so, you know, I was very nervous in starting it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not, or, you know, I was not when I started a professional tour guide by any means. And so basically I was a guy going house to house, telling stories about those houses. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I wasn't sure how, how seriously people would take me uh, as well. You just knew you had to make a part of the tour that either surprised you shocked you in any way so there was um and so let me let me preface this by by saying you know the city has done a lot of this kind of um, discovery and work yeah. but um unfortunately through different instances it just kind of never got out i mean the, the core tour that we do uh in part um has a lot of stops from a walking tour that the city put out back in kind of the early what, 2000s. Um, but they never had a chance to really publicize it. And it is a long walking tour. Mm -hmm. um, it would take you quite some time to walk the, all the sites. Uh, and so we don't do that. And plus we added uh, some other pieces to it uh, to make our own tour. Uh, but, um, you know, the story that I think is, is probably the, the coolest one um, is um, the story of Oscar and Joseph Ball. Um, there are two runaways from Alexandria. Um, you know, one runs away before the other. Uh, the next year, the other uh, younger brother runs away, uh, but leaves behind his his wife and kids. And he's got like a wife and five kids. And so uh, it would have probably been very tough for him to make it with all of them. Um, but uh, he doesn't kind of give up on them. Uh, and... Uh, luckily, um, some conductors on the Underground Railroad are able to get them reunited in the in a northern city um, a couple maybe a couple of years later, um, and so it's it's kind of an interesting story, and, and it honestly opens up an an opportunity to talk about the Underground Railroad in Alexandria, which is you know something that 
um, a lot of a lot of people don't know about. Um, and you know, you would think that we would have already talked about that history, brought that forward because of the popularity and kind of common knowledge about the Underground Railroad, but we haven't. Um, you know, I actually had, and I still do. Um, whenever I see this person, um, I have a black elder that is convinced that the Underground Railroad never kind of ran in and through Alexandria, um, even though you have over 20 different um, stories of individuals successfully making it on the Underground Railroad that are enslaved here in Alexandria. Um, we know that we, there's a large uh, Quaker contingent uh, that is highly organized around the kind of anti-slavery efforts. And so, mm. you know, all the all the pieces point to um, an operation working here and oper you know successfully running here. Um, but some folks kind of really need to be convinced. And so, hey, we're going to we're going to take an opportunity to do that. Um, I think we're going to start in September, late September, if things go well, um, to uh, debut a new tour that talks about the Underground Railroad in Alexandria. Transitioning from history to kind of what what the, the future of the city is. Um, the way we kind of close out every episode of the show is the guest from the previous episode ask the guest from the next episode a question. They don't know who the next episode episode's guest is going to be. Last uh, last month we had Tom Gale of uh, Virtue right. Feed and Grain on. Um, that was an entertaining conversation, very very different. And he he asked, "Oh, I bet." Yeah, <laughs> he had a lot to say about bourbon, which is unsurprising if you know <laughs> Tom. Um, but uh, he asked uh, the next guest, which turned out to be you. He asked, "Where do you see us as a community one year from now?" And I think that's especially an interesting question um, in light of everything that's been happening. Um, with the mm. pandemic and with the, kind of the Black Lives Matter movement. But where do you see the Alexandria community um, one year down the line? So um, I think we, a year from now, are um, still getting back on our feet as it relates to uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think hopefully by this point we would have a vaccine and folks have started to take it and start to live kind of normal lives. Um, businesses are opening back up. People are getting back out outside and reconnecting. Um, and I think that's what we see. I think our, our community is eager to reconnect. Yeah. Uh, people have been inside, you know, too long, not seeing friends, not seeing family. And so uh, I would hope a year from now we're back to, to a new normal. And that new normal includes people being able to, to congregate again safely um, without kind of any fear of, of a real disease. So, you know, that's where I hope to be uh, a year from now. Um, I think, you know, our community has, and many communities like ours have grown, have really only grown stronger um, through this. I, I know it's tough, but, you know, being able to lean on each other, I think has been um, something to, that I've um, appreciated about our community. I mean, we're not out of the woods yet. Mm -hmm. A number of businesses are still struggling. Um, and so, you know, I hope a year from now we're able to kind of pull together and help many of those businesses reestablish re themselves, um, you know, and our community organizations kind of reestablish themselves as well. Speaking of connections, um, what is the what is the question you'd like to ask our next month's guests, not knowing who they are? Not knowing who they are. Um, you know, I'm going to put that person, whoever it is, on the spot. Do it. Um, you know, with with our current and all the current movement around Black Lives Matter, um, you know, I'd ask, I would like to ask that person, um, why do you think uh, a movement like Black Lives Matter is needed or is it needed um, now? 
Um, and is and if it is needed, why? If it isn't needed, why? I love it. I love it. Put him on the spot. Thank you. Thank you so much, John, for stopping by and talking with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. And thank you. Thank you, Alexandria. Stay healthy and stay safe. 